0: Hello Sobertown, welcome to the Sobertown podcast, let's jump on that sober train and ride, right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety, and this morning we have an amazing young man, and he's going to share his sober journey with us, and and what he's doing now with the sober communities, Kevin Bufram, did I get that right Kevin? Very nicely said, very, very good. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, Drifter.
0: So go ahead and introduce yourself to everyone, and let's go from there.
1: (laughs) Sure. Sounds good. So, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Drifter. So I was born in Florida, and around the age of almost three years old, my my parents moved to Martinique, which is a French island in the Caribbean. And for those who don't know where that is, it's right above St. Lucia. I usually use that as a reference because St. Lucia is much more touristical. I was raised in Martinique until the age of 19. I'll kind of give you a timeline and then I'll go back into the the story itself. I was in Martinique until I was 19 years old. And then I spent two years in France. And I moved back to the States to Florida around 2007. So now I am living in Greer, which is a little city right next to Greenville, South Carolina. With my wife and my dog and my cat, so that's kind of the the background timeline there.
0: Go ahead and bring us into your your recovery story. Sure,
1: sure. So the, before yeah, the addiction, I really had a wonderful childhood. I growing up in the Caribbean, there was a lot of being outside as a kid, a lot of playing out, climbing trees, playing out and sick with my friends and. I had a wonderful childhood, loving parents, loving brothers, two two older brothers that I have, and most of my family is in Martinique as well. So lots of cousins, uncles, things like that. So great childhood, no complaints at all. And that kind of all took a turn when I was 11 years old, when when my dad had a motorcycle accident and he died a few hours later. So I didn't have time to say bye to him or to see him at all. And him and I were very, very close. So that was an extremely hard, a hard hit on me, a very, very shocking trauma on me. That really going through that, seeing all my family going through that trauma and everything, three to four months after that, I started having major panic attacks. And it's really hard to describe those. I was never really able to describe them properly, but the best way that. The, my therapist at the time that I started seeing because of those, he described them, described them as, as panic attacks. But really, it felt like something that was, it was very brief. It lasted maybe 10 to 15 seconds. But it was the most terrifying, fearful state I've ever been in my life, right? And I can't really explain it. It's just, I just started fearing, man. And, and, and I remember thinking at that time, if, if that stays for the whole day, and if it just doesn't go out, that feeling that I'm going to have to kill myself. And that worsened the situation as well, because here I was around 12 years old, thinking about suicide. So I was telling myself, why am I thinking about suicide at 12 years old? That can be good. So that whole thought it worsened the whole situation, because there was this vicious cycle of getting the panic attacks, thinking about taking myself out. And then making myself feel worse from, from 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 having that feeling. Worked with therapists on and off throughout those years. And and as far as yet where the where the uh, addiction story comes in is is about a year, year and a half after all that. So when my father died around 11, 11 and a half years old, I actually stayed sober and clean and I was a good kid for for another year and a half, two years. And a lot of my friends, I had some friends that were older than me, and some of those were already drinking. The alcohol in the Caribbeans is just rampant. It's, it's everywhere. So I was there, and I was able to, to stay sober. And I remember I was proud of myself. My mother was proud of myself as well, because she knew that other people were drinking already. And then around 13 years old, 13 and a half uh, it was, where I was out boating with... with it wasn't my friends. It was... It was mostly my, my cousin and his friends and, and then some of their family. So they were much older than me. They were in their late 20s, early 30s. And he, I remember him telling me, you can have a beer. You can have a beer. That's fine. And that's just the mentality in the Caribbean. It's just there's none of that 21-year-old thing. First of all, the drinking age is 18 years old, but everybody drinks before that. So I had one and and i had another one and a third and that's all i had i had three beers on that day but man did i feel good man did i love it 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 gave me and this is cliche but it gave me that confidence that i so desperately needed it gave me that ability to just kind of release my whatever i was holding temporarily of course the, the trauma and everything And back then, I had a little boat. It was a little 12-foot boat with a a little 15 horsepower in the back. And I just took it whenever the, the day was over. And I remember just going against the waves and just having a time of my life. But at the same time, I remember telling myself that that could not be healthy. That me feeling that good was not a good thing right? So I already knew the very first time I tried it that there was something going on there. Now, ever since that first day of me drinking, I mean, it, it pretty much went downhill very, very, very fast. I was that kid that I had to say or drink drinking my hand from the beginning of the party until the end. And I was always the last one to leave. And every social situation, I would go out with, with my friends sometimes and there was no adults around so I could drink there. But in social situations where it was, for example, my family, my mother, and her friends, obviously I couldn't drink there, right? So I remember every social situation where I couldn't drink, I felt like there was something missing. I was missing it big time already from that age. So when I could drink, I drank and I puked and I vomited my guts out over and over and over again. And I remember thinking it was almost a sense of pride behind it because. I was, I was building up tolerance for alcohol, and I was able to outdrink all my friends. I was out everybody, and people would pat each other on the back. Yeah, look at you, how much you can drink, man. That's amazing. And every time I would puke, I would, in my little kid's head, I'd be like, yeah, this is great. I'm just building more tolerance. I want to be able to drink more tomorrow. So completely unhealthy behavior from the start. And... So my thing is, yeah, I, I knew I had a problem very, very, very early on in, in there. And, and I remember being 15, 16 years old with my girlfriends at the time. And, and already by the end of, of, of some days, uh, after drinking a lot, I remember crying and telling them, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I can't do this. So from that age, I, I tried to moderate. I tried to, to maybe only have beer or maybe only have it on the weekend or, or, or not have it at all. But it was just completely felt uh, impossible,
0: you know. What was driving you to feel? Was it making you feel bad the next morning? Were you hungover? Yeah, uh, I was extremely hungover, of
1: course. Sometimes I would puke uh, after the party that night or I would puke waking up the next morning because that's how much I had to drink. And just from my mother also being extremely disappointed because she, so she knew from the beginning that what was going on. But that very first time that, that, I, that I puked, which was probably the second or third time drinking around 13 years old, I puked in the bathroom. And the next morning she came to me and she she looked at me and she said, Kevin, was was anybody sick last night? Did anybody vomit? And I said, "Well, no, I don't I don't know. So that was the beginning of, of the lies. And. Ever since that day, pretty much every time I went out, she, when I came back home, she would have me come to her and she would have me blow in her face to see if I, if I smell like alcohol or not. And of course, every time I did, and every time I tried to deny it, the, the relationship that it, that, that started between her and I was not the best. And, and she did her best, but, uh, but that was really hard on her. Yeah. So I, I, knowing I had a problem and I already wanted to quit because I think also part of me. Somewhere in there, I knew I had potential for greatness and I just was never going to be able to, to express myself properly, right? If I stayed in that, in that state of mind. So 15 and a half, 16 years old, I discovered weed and started smoking weed pretty much on the daily. And then it, alcohol, and, alcohol and weed became those synergistic best friend type thing. So that kind of had me losing all my motivation for everything, for school. I was skipping school and I was just um, staying. My friends would, would go to the dock, drink, smoke weed. And yeah, I just loved it as well. And then around the age of 17 years old, while all that was going on, the drinking, the weed and everything, my best friend at the time lost his life in a boating accident. And that was another traumatic experience on me obviously. And, and that just kind of compounded the, the, the trauma that was already there. He was, he was gone and, and it just on the spot. And uh, that was a horrific accident. So yeah, man, that was, that, was, that was tough as well. And
0: this was your best friend too, right?
1: Yeah. 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 One of my best friends for sure. I had maybe three, four best friends. So what happened is we're at a, at a party during the day and I already left before him and then he left at night. Right. He left that night and he didn't have life on his boats. And, and in the, the Caribbean, you have very specific trajectory that you have to take to go home. Otherwise, you hit some rocks. So you have to go between the rocks. And so it's very likely that boats take the same trajectory. So another friend came with his bigger boat from behind and didn't see him and took a wave and basically just hop over his little tiny boat. So that's how that's how that happens. Yeah. After that, I kind of thought that people would kind of call it call it on the drinking and everything, but no, that didn't didn't change a thing. And that's how ingrained it was in, in society. But anyway, so kept on doing my thing. And a year, exactly a year after that, you know, coming from the same party actually, from the same place, a year later, I had a car accident where I almost could have killed the whole family. There was there was a grandmother in there. There was her son, his wife, and a little one, two-year-old baby. And I remember the, the grandmother came out of the car and she lay down and on the ground. She was saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. She was holding her chest. So she had to broken ribs. rich. That's, that's, why, that's why that happens. So in my mind, I was like, all right, my life is over. That's, this is it. And fortunately for me, I was, I was in Martinique. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if that was in the States, I would have gone to jail. they were much stricter here. But yeah, so lost my driver license as as I should, and and then moved to France right after that. So a few weeks after that, to to finish my my high school degree that I failed in Martinique. So I did my my 12th grade twice basically.
0: So this is just trauma on top of trauma, because you lose your dad, you lose right. your best friend, you get in this car accident. But you're dealing with a lot. But it looks like you were a young man that you were kind of in tune. Even though all this is going on, it seems like you're kind of in tune with the inner you somehow.
1: Yeah, that's one thing about me that I've always kind of found different than most of my friends somehow. When I was a kid, I remember those adults would have those conversations about time moving so fast. And, oh, my God, we're already, you know, how old we are. And I remember looking up at them, being able to connect with them somehow. So I've always had this, this, those existential kind of questions crisis from a very early age. Which made my whole my whole ability to feel sorry and bad for myself even even worse. Because I was able to look at the whole picture from a third eye's view, which is a good thing to be able to do. But because the addiction was so deep and I wasn't able to stay away from alcohol, I started just resenting myself, man. Because I, I was aware that what I was doing was done.
0: Which put you into getting therapy at a young age. You have a lot of experience with therapy, really.
1: A lot, yeah, definitely. I've seen a few different therapists in martinique. i saw I saw the same guy on and off from the age of twelve to about to about seventeen eighteen when i when I moved to France, and then when I moved to France, I did my my last year of, of high school there in boarding school actually, and that was a year where the alcohol consumption cooled off a little bit because we're inside of the boarding school so we couldn't drink as much but we were still allowed to go out on Saturdays for three hours, and I was just getting hammered on those Saturdays. But but yeah, so after I got that high school diploma there in the boarding school, moved to Paris, a different location in France, and that's where I started taking medication for, for acne. I had bad acne, and I wanted to, to do something about that. So there was this medication called Wakutan, uh, which I believe is the same thing as Accutane in this country but i remember looking on the box and it was saying how in rare cases people have people have negative side effects from from that medication and i talked to my dermatologist about this and she said oh don't worry about that in 20 years of experience i've only had one person having negative side effects i was still worried decided to go for it and within a couple months suicidal thoughts came back in crept back in my mind i kind of lost my mind in a weird way i, I remember what I, uh, I lost i already had very little confidence in myself but i lost the rest of confidence that i had and i was not even able to to talk in public in the classroom to read the text because i hated the way my voice sounded. i hated the, the way i spoke i hated i hated most things about myself and and that made the whole thing worse. So I was supposed to take medication for nine months, but I had to discontinue after, after six months. And that's where I moved back to the States six months in to be closer to my family, my mother and my brothers who were living in, in South Florida at the time. So that was 2007. So I moved back to Florida in 2007 to be, to be with them.
0: So once you're in Florida, are you continuing your drinking and smoking weed? Yeah, so things got worse.
1: Florida is where things got, took a turn for the worse and kept on drinking for sure, kept on spending, useless amounts of money. I was lucky, lucky, I shouldn't say lucky. I'm sure like many addicts, I was, I had my grandmother there also. And and every time I would go visit her, she would give me a 50 50 bucks little gift. And and that became a regular thing. So she was able to fund my alcohol and, and drug use and things like that. But yeah, careful drinking, smoking weed, and, and the weed in the U.S. is way more powerful than in the Caribbeans, by the way. I, at least when I when I moved in 2007, now they, they have some strong stuff over there, but that was like a different ballgame. Lots of drinking, lots of smoking weed, and I don't know if it was a few months afterwards or what, but I started messing around with coats, cocaine, and dude... Uh, like yeah i that first feeling i got when i first drank at 13 years old is the same feeling i got from when i did blow but 10 times even better because alcohol wasn't doing it the same way for me anymore than it did back then but alcohol and cocaine combined now yep that did it that gave me the 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 confidence and the the thing that needed to keep going and and I became addicted pretty damn fast. So my thing was playing pool and drinking and snorting, playing pool, drinking and snorting. And I became really good at playing pool and drinking and snorting. I was pretty much going out every day doing the same thing. But the, the Coke was the, the biggest drug of choice I it was, then Coke. But I also messed around with, with ecstasy, molly, Adderall's, all of that stuff. So yeah, most of my 20s was, I was, I was lost soul man I, I i remember getting into into relationships and just just dragging them on because because i was just drowning my feelings and, and i knew that i should get out of there but i just stayed in them which is something you don't want to do by the way if you're in a relationship and you don't think it's going anywhere don't don't drag it i did that for years again and again like maybe two or three times and that just added to my self-resentment and self-hatred and, and anxiety and, and, and everything.
0: Was that something that you knew during this time that you knew that you hated who you were? Oh yeah,
1: definitely. I, I was well aware, which is why I was drowning so much. And I, I couldn't really see a way out though. Cause my mindset was in the gutter. Like I didn't think I was going to get out of it. I thought everything was done and tried. And, and so I was just, diving deeper and deeper and and uh, kept on drinking and driving and drinking driving and and it's it's a, it's, it's crazy dude because i remember changing cars i got my, my dream car in like 2014 2015 and i made a promise to myself that i wasn't going to drink and that da- drink and drive of that car it's a convertible and i was able to not drink and drive for a few weeks and then i went to a party and i drove home and it was the, the best thing ever. That feeling of dropping the top and just driving with my little gram of Coke in my pocket just felt like so good and so peaceful. So that kind of became almost like a hobby in a weird way, which, which I hated myself for as well, because it's, again, consequences. But yeah, it's it, falling into that, that whole pool scene, especially the, um, going to bars, playing pool. I became really good friends with this, with this pool hustler. And in a, in a weird way, and this is my therapist that made me realize that he kind of became like like a dad I didn't have back then. He, he was older than me, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years older than me. Amazing at pool. And I met him at a pool hall. I was blown away by his skills. And, and then he just kind of took me under his wing. But it was, it was a, a bad influence, very bad influence. So I started doing more of that. I mean, I would go to pool halls and bars from like 6 p.m. to sometimes 6 a.m. And that's all I would do is play pool and drink and snort. And, and the drinking just made it that much better, by the way, the snorting Coke. I'm, I'm sure you've heard that before, but in all of my times doing Coke, I can count on one hand the amount of times that I've done it without drinking. And that's because every time I've done it without drinking, I really didn't like it as much as it made me feel like kind of anxious and way too hyped up, but drinking first and then doing it, those, those two drugs, man, they were like best friends.
0: So you're doing all this. What drove you into wanting to get clean and sober?
1: So that's a good question. So the need to be healthy and to take care of my body was a, was a big factor here. So. I've always been athletic. When I was a kid, I played tennis a lot competitively. Until I started drinking, and that kind of fell off the wagon the tennis side of things. But my father was athletic. It's it's kind of in our genes. We we love to move and 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 and, and train and things like that. And, and even though I was drinking, like in my twenties at least, I was able to sometimes work out and find those little those little battle times where I was able to stay consistent in the gym for some time, right? So I, I looked healthy on the outside and most people thought I was healthy, but I was not. I was definitely not healthy. I was scared shitless, excuse my French, for my liver. I remember, from, I, I I just, cause I could feel something in there on the right side of my body. And every time I went for tests, my liver enzymes were up. And you think that i would be good enough for me to stop, but I just kept on drinking and drinking. So the need for me, the need to, to, To develop a a healthy body and mind and to take my workout routines and exercise to the next level, I didn't have a choice. I had to get sober. But also, I needed to stop hurting people and stop getting into those relationships that went nowhere. I needed to stop drinking and driving. I got tired of laying in bed at night and looking back at the day I just had and being terrified of what could have happened when I almost freaking crashed on this car on the highway and that it's just a matter of time before I kill people on the road and before I die from liver failure or from anything like that. It was just fear. I was, I was scared for my life and for in, in general. So that pushed me to go to rehab in, in 2017. I, I told myself, well, there is nothing wrong with asking for help, right? So I did. So my brother actually is the one that found that place. He looked for me. And, and he found this place in Thailand, out of all places, that it was cheaper for me to fly there with the plane ticket, the whole stay and everything was cheaper than any other places that we found in the US. Decided to go there. At first, I was going to stay only four weeks, but then four weeks came around, we decided to extend a little bit that I was going to be safer for me. And so I stayed six weeks. And then at six weeks, I flew back home to Florida.
0: So, Kevin, that's really cool that your brother found you the plane ticket to go to Thailand. You did your rehab in Thailand. That's really badass. So your family must have known that you had uh, some addiction issues around that time.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, uh, they knew, my, my mother knew from very early on she would have me blowing her face to check if I drank or not. So my brothers didn't know as much. But they realized later, right, in my 20s, that there was something going on there. And, and actually, around mid-20s, late 20s, maybe, because that's just before I went to rehab, they had kind of an intervention for me. So my, my brother came to the bar, and I, was, I like to say that was my second house at the bar, because I, I went there almost every day. And he, he, he went there, and we kind of played pool together. And, and then he just followed me uh, to my mom's house, which is where I was staying. And there was him there, my other brother, and my mother. And they kind of sat me down for a discussion, almost like an invention, I guess it was. "Was enough is enough, like what are you doing, etc. And as much as I knew I had a problem, something about that just kind of, when, it, when it's your family, you're kind of like, oh, you don't want to admit, it's kind of weird. So I was like, I remember standing up and clenching my face out of anger. It's like, yeah, I know, I know there is a problem, but I've got it. I've got it under control. Don't worry. So I went to bed that night, and I don't know if it was a few weeks later or what, but I decided that that the, the the rehab was the best option, and that's that's where my brother found that place and not long after I, I went to the rehab so yeah, they were very very supportive in that whole in that whole thing and that's that's a major thing uh, a major factor is is your environment like you have to be in an environment that fosters health and sobriety and 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 that's away from your from your typical habits because being in South Florida where I was, those people I was hanging out with, as much as they were bad influences, they were my friend, I loved them. I loved them to death. And I remember them coming to me at some times, like, cause they, they were tired of doing the, the stuff as well and doing so much coke and over and over again. And, and they, were be, they were being um, confident to me. They were telling me all their problems and stuff. So I really loved those people. But after rehab, I, when I came back, I realized this is not the best environment for me. Even though I was not seeing them anymore, I was still driving in front of that bar almost every day. I was still in the same environment that was constantly feeding my mind with those triggers uh, and those images of my friends that I missed. So I decided to, to move out of the, the state. And that's when I moved to, to Asheville, North Carolina. Just packed all my stuff and put it in a a truck and just drove overnight to Asheville, North Carolina. Here's a crazy thing. And here's where maybe some other addicts and alcoholics can can relate. But after rehab, I stayed sober for about uh, six months. During that time, I remember really wanting to drink in moderation, right? Because I still could not picture myself living a full life of of not drinking, of sobriety. To me, that was not worth it because I didn't know how to have fun without booze and without drugs. So, dude, one of the big reasons why I moved to Asheville is because Asheville is known for its breweries. And that little addict's voice in my head was like, yeah, you can move to Asheville and you you can do some ball hopping here and there and it's fine. You're not going to go back to your old ways, right? completely silly. Now in retrospect, looking back at that, that makes no sense. But so anyways, moved back to Asheville and, and yeah, just relapsed hard. And that was even worse than it was before.
0: But moderation Um, was on your mind, right? Moderation
1: was on my mind. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Getting back to the rehab real quick. What, what did you learn in there that may have been a driving force to help you later?
1: I learned the power of community, the power of being around like-minded people, positive, uplifting people. And I've learned some tools for sure. We had a lot of, of, of individual therapy sessions as well as group therapy sessions. So we did that. We did a lot of physical activities. So I already knew that sport was an important factor there, but that kind of reinforced the whole thing as well. And... I actually also learned already new nutrition was important, but that kind of reinforced the whole thing as well, because the way that we're, we're being fed there was amazing. The food was fantastic, but it was not the healthiest necessarily. And I believe that if they were to change that factor, that would make the whole experience even more powerful to, to have people eating a, a diet that is, that is more in line with, with what their bodies need. But
0: yeah, so I learned a lot
1: of a lot of different things there when I was when I was in rehab in those 6 weeks.
0: Well, you have these thoughts of moderation and you relapsed hard. You said, did any of these things that you were learning were they in your mind as you're relapsing?
1: More than likely, yes. Yeah. And so around that time when I relapsed is, is when I met my wife now, which was my girlfriend back then by the way. So she moved to a different state. I was in Asheville, North Carolina, so we did long distance so she was a major, major support in this all. So I drank, I drank in Asheville and yeah, I, I was using that tool on and off, the tools that I've learned in rehab, but really I can't tell you for sure that, that there is something that was helping me cope or whatever. It was just, it just went back. But, but, but this time around, I, it was worse in the sense that i I was getting withdrawals worse than I've ever had before. and. You know the shakes, the sweats, like I've never had, which was kind of odd. I suspect that is because I was on uh, a taking also medication. It's called Betrin at the time, and I think that a combination of those maybe made it worse. But yeah, so so drank for about about a year there. I drank while my wife, girlfriend at the time, were seeing each other every few weeks, driving to each other, and like I said, she was very supportive. That was very helpful. And what made me stop there is just. I was picturing my future. I was picturing my future lives with her. Her and I, where we're we starting to talk about getting married. We're starting to talk about kids and everything. And obviously, that's impossible to to do all that properly if I kept the same the same lifestyle that I had. So she she surprised me one day. One of those those days that I, I was I was trying to taper off my drinking so that I didn't die. Uh, I was trying to to taper it off and not stop cold turkey. But she surprised me, and, and, and I was very happy to see her. And I told her, you know what? This is it. I'm going to have to drink today just so, because I have to taper off. But I'm done tomorrow or, or the next day or whatever. And, and, yeah, that was it. So she came to me. That was May 3rd. And May 5th, 2019 is, is the very last time I had to drink.
0: Wow. That's powerful. You were picturing your future life with her, and that, that was basically a deciding factor for you.
1: It was huge. It was huge. I think a lot of times we lack vision, we lack purpose, right? And, and if you don't have that, man, it's just so easy to go back into your old way. So me being able to, being lucky enough to having met her and getting into this relationship, loving relationship where she supports me, that, that really made it, I don't want to say easier because it's always tough, but it made it less challenging for me to get sober for sure.
0: And then you did have some tools that you had learned at the rehab that you could kind of use to help on this new sober journey. And then I'm sure you just started building new sober tools as you went, right?
1: I did. I did. Absolutely. I used some tools. I I um when it is I went all in into health, started eating better, being more consistent with my gym. My mindset slowly started changing and and so here is the 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 thing again that I just talked about is that little addictive voice in my head. So, the first year and a half, two years of sobriety, so from May 2019 to like early 2021, I was still convinced that I was going to be able to drink in moderation. That's how sick I was up there, man. I, I've, I've tried thousands of times and I was still convinced I was going to drink in moderation again because I've never had fun with alcohol. So, what I did is I started seeing a therapist around early 2021. And the reason for that is I wanted him to help me bring alcohol back into my life in moderation, okay? And he was very frank with me. He said, I'm gonna be honest, I I don't think that's a good idea, but if that's what you want to do, I'm gonna work with you on this. And around the same time, I, I met some people that have been very successful in their lives and they've never had a sip of alcohol in their lives. So that kind of made me realize, oh, look at that. Those people are great people. They've accomplished a lot. They're healthy. They're happy. And they never drink. Okay, interesting. So that kind of made me feel more confident with the the possibility of not reintroducing alcohol. And around the same time, so October 2021 was my wedding date. So that's when I got married to my wife, Nicole. So one of the reasons why I wanted to incorporate alcohol again into my life, believe it or not, was because of the wedding. Because I've never had fun without alcohol until that point, I was not able to picture my wedding day without alcohol. Okay. And that really played tricks on me because I was picturing like my bachelor party and my wedding day, and I really didn't want to to have a bad time and to to just be miserable on those very important days. So in my mind, I was like, all right, let, let me find a way to reintroduce alcohol and, and I'll be fine. I'll just be able to drink moderation." But long story short, having met those people that were very successful, having the support from my wife, having my health, my therapist also helped. I decided to go into the wedding without drinking. And guess what? I had the best time of my life.
0: Boom. I love that, man. <laughs> I love it. Because that's your mindset, right? That's all you can see is not being able to have fun. And by going to your wedding, being sober, that changed your mindset.
1: It changed everything inside of me. Okay. We went through the church ceremony and then we went through the the dinner. I had to give my speech. I started dancing with my wife and I was free. I was free. That was the most beautiful thing and the most important thing for me. So, the reason why the conditioning was so deep, and I think it's so deep for so many people is is because we're told in our society that we need alcohol to have fun and it runs really deep, but let me tell you it is not the case and you may have to have a little bit of time of sobriety and do your belt to realize that, but if you take care of yourself and if you if you make it a certain time, you will see that the freedom on the other side is so much deeper than you will ever have.
0: Man, this wedding with you, Kevin, is so friggin' cool. You get married, and then it's like you get married to your sobriety too, right? Yeah. At, at yeah, the yeah. same time. Like this huge, I get the I'm getting the chills just thinking about this. It's so <laughs> friggin' cool. So, Kevin, during this time are you working as a fitness trainer?
1: No, I did fitness training from, from 2013 to 2018 in South Florida where I was, I was still very much living a double life. So I was drinking, doing drugs. And that, that's another thing that made me feel bad about myself because I was living this double life and it was very hypocritical in a way because I was preaching health to my clients, but I was getting trashed on, on the other side. So did that until 2018. And around that time is when I got sober and moved to, to Asheville. And one of the reasons why I moved to Asheville was to further my knowledge into kinesiology and, 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 and physiology in and the human body. The goal was to study to, to become a physical therapist assistant. That is a two-year program, and I did that from 2019 to 2021, that program. So during that sober time, my, my early sobriety is when I, when I studied to be a physical therapist assistant.
0: And I can really see now where the cognitive dissonance, the war between our minds, would really be in play with you because you're getting this education on your body and, and mind and all this stuff with the nutrition and everything. But you're living this other life, and it's not who you wanted to be. And cognitive dissonance is that huge war in our mind between our conscious, I don't want to be doing this, and our subconscious that drives us to do it. Like at your wedding, that conflict kind of ended, didn't it? I wouldn't
1: say it ended, but it's, it's yeah, almost. It almost ended. Like that cognitive dissonance that you're talking about is, is huge indeed. I remember the the, the last five years of my addiction when it was the worst, I really felt crazy. Like I had, like I had two distinct people in my head because on one side of the equation, you, you have, I'm going to bed at night and I'm promising to myself that this is it, that I'm not drinking tomorrow. Or you know how many bags of Coke I've thrown away in the trash only to pick them back up the next morning. Like, I mean, it's just, just a lot. Okay. And so I go to bed at night, and, and I'm this person, and then I wake up the next morning, I go to work for a couple hours, and as, as the day progresses, I'm slowly convincing myself, oh, okay, it's all right, who cares? I can, I can go to the bar and drink and do drugs again. So yeah, that was huge. And, and that wedding day, it pretty much, yeah, I, we can say that. It pretty much ended that whole conflict, and that's why I think that I felt free. That, that's a good point. That, that's a very good point.
0: And I would have to agree that it really never ends because these neural pathways that we have, they're entrenched. We've we've had them most of our lives. And you can't just remove those pathways. I mean, in the 30s, they were trying like lobotomies and shock therapy. I guess it's more like learning how to live with these thoughts where they don't consume you. And that's where the freedom comes in, where you're going to have these thoughts but it's not the huge cognitive dissonance. It's not the war that you had before and they're manageable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly what it's, what it feels like. You know, I I still have them once in a while, but, but it doesn't feel like, like completely irrational, illogical, like what it was back then. I love critical thinking. I love to think rationally. And, and that's why I felt so crazy when I was in the grips of, uh, of addiction, because, there was no way to rationalize it. There is just on this one side of the equation, you've got this guy that wants to get clean and sober and the other side you have, it's like I couldn't trust myself. And when you can't trust yourself, it's scary. I think that was one of the scariest part is, is what is going to happen to me because you see yourself drifting away deeper and deeper and you can't, you can't even trust your own gut feelings, your own emotions. So that, that was very, very, very scary, yeah.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that and what addiction does to our brains, because you love critical thinking, you love reasoning, and addiction, this is science that says it, it destroys the connections between our prefrontal cortex and other parts of our mind, and the prefrontal cortex is where we get our critical thinking, we get our reasoning, we get our judgment. If those connections are destroyed, we lose that ability through your abstinence, here you had two years what before your wedding, right? Where you were sober.
1: Yes, yes. two years and and, and five months. Wow. So your
0: brain was healing, and you're getting back these connections between those two, and now you're able to reason again. But some of that stinking thinking was still there because you hired a therapist to try to help you moderate. And I think that <laughs> I love that man. That's badass.
1: That's that's very true. Yeah, it was definitely still there. Yeah. I mean, 18 years of, of alcohol and drug abuse and beating myself down and trauma, it, it, felt it did something to my brain. But that's that's one part of it, of it that that I was struggling with also. And that's what made it harder for me to quit is one way that I convinced myself to keep on drinking is I was telling myself that I've gone so deep already that I probably won't be able to undo the damage. So I might as well keep going. Yeah. But that was completely flawed thinking. If, if I... If I look at the way I'm feeling now compared to, I, I never thought I'll be able to be here and talk to you about my story in a way that is that is hopefully eloquent, that like people can relate to and, and, and hear me properly, despite my French accent.
0: Oh, but, yeah. You are eloquent. You're an amazing speaker and an amazing communicator. Your mind has definitely been healing. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: I appreciate I appreciate that, Griffo. Yeah, you, you, you can heal. I, I heal and I am healing still every day. That's the way I look at it. It's, it's not a destination. I'm, I'm improving every single day on physical, mental, spiritual, all of it. And, and it's just an amazing journey, man. It's, it's, it's so much fun to be able to notice the, the, the improvements and, and, in, in myself, but also in, in other people. And, and it just fuels me even more to want to wanna help as many people as possible.
0: So let's talk about that void that you used to try to fill. Are you trying to fill a void now?
1: Definitely not. It doesn't feel like there is a void to be filled.
0: It, it feels like I
1: have something to fulfill, and that would be my purpose, my calling. But it's not a void like it was back then in the sense that I was lacking self-esteem and confidence, and, 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 and probably my, my dad left a big void. So that, that alcohol and drugs was filling all that. But now that I'm feeling very much fulfilled in my life, in my, in my marriage, there is no void. There is just deep sense of wanting to get things done, wanting, wanting to help a lot of people get sober and healthy. And yeah, yeah, there's no, no void to be found there.
0: Yeah. And that's why I wanted to ask that, because I'm the same way, Kevin. I was always trying to fill a void. And now that I have this sobriety this time, because I'm working on me, I don't have a void to fill anymore. And like you, I have purpose. So that is, that's so cool. You're not chasing this void, this empty, bottomless pit that you can't ever fill. You're, you're satisfied with your life and you're looks like you're really content and you got a sober glow with you. What are you doing now?
1: So now I am a holistic health coach. So I started with fitness over 10 years ago. And what I did is, is I became a nutritionist a couple of years ago. And so I combined uh, elements of fitness, nutrition, as well as mindset training to be able to, to help people really thrive and, and, and build the, the bodies and minds that they, that they want.
0: I just have to say that when people get sober and they, they go into these areas like you have, You're an expert at addiction. So now you get to combine your education as a nutritionist, fitness coach, uh, with everything you're learning about the mind. And now you're able to help people in ways that somebody that's never gone through what you've gone through can help other people.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. That's, That's a very good point. The last two therapists that I saw were both recovered or in recovery. And that was a very important fact for me, was to be able to talk to people that have gone through it. And and I'm not saying that somebody who hasn't gone through it can't be helpful, but in my mind, there's just so much power there if you can talk to someone who who has gone through this, this stuff and, and, uh, and who can truly not just understand what's going on, but really know deep inside what's going on with you. I really love to combine all of that knowledge that I've acquired through my experience, but also through through working with, with health and movements and mindset and nutrition, because I truly believe that health is the foundation, man, is the foundations for it all. And our bodies and minds are the only vessel that we get for this life that we have. So why not cherish it 100%? And why not make sure we eat well, we move like we're supposed to, that we cherish our minds? Because if you do that, you're going to feel so much better and your chances of going back to your old ways are going to be way, way less, right? And not only that, but every other aspects of your life are going to enhance. I mean, if you have, if you're feeling better, you've got more energy. You're feeling better about yourself. You can your professional life improves, your love life improves, because it's just a foundation for everything. So, I don't really, I don't really promote myself as as a as a business coach or anything like that. But what I found often is that my clients became also more productive when they, when they started feeling better.
0: So are you designing your coaching more towards people that, that are recovering from addiction?
1: Yes. So up until now, I was working with, with the general population and any, anybody, even people with no addiction. But as, as of late years, my purpose become much, much clearer. And that is to help as many people as I can get rid of smash through their addictions through through optimal health. And and that's really a good feeling when you find when you find your purpose and your calling. So what I'm doing now is yeah, I I'm I'm helping people who who have it doesn't have to be deep addictions. It could just be problem drinking, drinking too too much on the weekend or whatever it is. But I help those people being able to develop good healthy habits and, and get rid of the addiction
0: through through
1: health and through mindset and all that. So, yeah.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the mindset with what you do on the mindset. People go from like where you were, you got married, and all of a sudden you realize that, hey, I can have it fun in life. How do, how do we help people make that transition so they can see that?
1: I think a, a, biggest, a biggest point here is going to be to, we have to come to the realization that thinking that alcohol is needed to have fun and to be a social person, is the result of deep conditioning from youth, okay? Or from teenage years or whatever. But that is not actually the case. So it can be hard for somebody to see that and to connect if if you're if you're not understanding that. And I know it was hard for me to see. When I heard people say that when I was drinking, I was like, yeah, whatever, say what you will. I, I don't care. But it, it is true. You 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 don't need a, alcohol, it's just another drug, another way to kind of escape something and and you can have more fun and more importantly, more authentic fun without the booze. So the first thing is to remove the conditioning about that. And also there are a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different things that goes into that, but we have to to be aware and be very mindful of the way that we view ourselves, of our limiting beliefs about ourselves, of what we can achieve or we can't achieve, because more often than not, we can achieve whatever we set our mind to, and and again, that's very cliché, but that's that's the truth. You have to be able to build healthy habits, and and slowly but surely, kind of, kind of work towards that person, that that vision that you have for yourself.
0: And it doesn't happen just overnight, does it? It has to. You have to learn these techniques and and learn this thinking
1: yeah, definitely. It does not happen overnight. So that would be wonderful. and And that's another thing in in, in today's society, we always want that quick fix, that pill that's going to fix you overnight. But the problem with that is those pills, if they do exist, they're going to come with side effects because there's no such thing as overnight. the 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 beautiful thing that happens by building the healthy habits slowly but surely is first of all, it doesn't take that long. You can start feeling better very fast. But also in the process of doing that, you're going to build amazing grit and resilience about yourself. And that stuff is going to make you feel invincible and like you can achieve anything. And and it's going to make you not want and not crave that drug of choice that you
0: have. And then when you do see some of these moments where you've overcome some of these obstacles in your thinking, recognize them and celebrate them, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Very good points. Definitely. I uh, recognize them. i the small wins, the medium wins, the big wins. I have a little jar where, where I write the, the small wins for the day in. I just put them
0: in there. Um, oh, that is really cool. He just showed me a jar and you have <laughs> your wins. Now, this is your wife's office. Are those her wins or yours? She does. That's her wins, but I have
1: the same one in my office.
0: So she's practicing this too? Yep. Yeah.
1: We're very much on the same page when it comes to, uh, to self-improvement.
0: Right. That is so cool, man. I just love that. I'm going to have to get me a jar and my wife needs a jar and we need to celebrate our wins every day because you know what? I can take one negative moment out of a day and it can ruin my week. I need those wins.
1: Yes. I think we're prone to, to kind of hold on to the negative in a way. That's kind of the way our brain, our brains are just trying to protect us, but we live in a, in a society that is so, there's so much stimulus all around every single day. It's just trying to protect us, but doing that little that little win exercise and being aware and being mindful of those of those little wins is really is is very helpful. But but also how you start your days is, is very important. And, and and I recommend to people to to not go on the social media first thing in the morning. Try to get up if you can same time every single day. Take some time for yourself. Write down your goals. And and just just breathe and, and and enjoy yourself before you go into the into the hustle and bustle of, of what the day is. The the worst thing you can do is go on social media first thing in the morning.
0: So get up and, and get in touch with yourself first thing in the morning. And then yeah. And then move on to that a little bit later if you need to.
1: Yeah. Get in touch with yourself. I can tell you what I do specifically. I, I saw some breathing exercises for for a few minutes, 10, 20, 30 minutes, depending. So and oh, then you, I go,
0: you open your eyes in the morning and what does Kevin do?
1: Yeah, I open my eyes in the morning and then I go in my, in my little, little home gym and I do some breathing exercises, right? So that's uh, mindful breathing where I, I breathe uh, a certain way for a few minutes and then I hold my breath. I do it again for like 5, 10, 20 minutes, depending. And then right after that, breathing really helps you get out of your head and go into your body. And right after that, I go into a, a short meditation, 10 to 15 minutes meditation. And I find that that makes it much, much easier to meditate. So that's what I do. And and then I will have my my coffee after that. But I definitely don't have it first thing in the morning.
0: So you have to be purposeful and intentional when you wake up.
1: I do. I do. Yes, yes. I, if I don't, if I don't have some sort of structure, it's going to be chaos and the, the house is going to be chaos. There is going to be clothes everywhere, dishes. I won't know what to do at what time. I will never do my breathing, meditation. I'll be anxious. I'll be overwhelmed. And that is not how you, you build a proper, a proper mindset, a proper habit, a proper lifestyle. And that is not how you achieve your goals, whether that's health or professional goals.
0: In our recovery, we have to be purposeful, intentional. And I, and I love to acknowledge Hey man, I'm sober. I like waking up knowing that I'm sober. That's a thing that I do every morning too.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's being purposeful and structured about about your day. And and you don't have to be extremely rigid. Some people do better by having some flexibility here and there, and some people do better by by having every 30-minute slot like planned throughout the day. I'm one of those people that 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 is like that. And this is this is mostly a recent thing. I haven't been doing that, but only for like a few months. Before that, it was it was kind of all over the place. I was trying to juggle this task and this task, but it was kind of hard to do. But I found that having that structure, it's it's, it's definitely good. But you know, I'm I'm a work in progress, man. I'm definitely not perfect by any means, and and that's good. I'm glad because there's no such thing as perfection, man. It's it's progress progress over perfection
0: yeah and then as we build these things we can adapt them to what fits us individually and it, it's not like one thing fits all it's what works for you and you're comfortable with
1: i would i would agree with that 100 yep
0: so we're going to get all of your uh, links to your social media and are did you mention you're building a community also
1: yeah, yeah. So I've got, I've got my Facebook and Instagram, and I'm building a community on a different platform. And that community is, is called Soberflex. So I can, we can put a link in there as well. But yeah, that's going to be a free community. I'm going to be sharing a ton of, of value on there to, regarding nutrition, regarding movements, regarding mindset, breathing, different kind of habits to, to, to get into your body when you start your day. I mean, just everything health related to sobriety. So because community is one of the most important thing, and if we can if we can all help each other out and keep each other accountable while we build healthy habits, I truly believe that that's going to set us up for for success and for help, wanting to help each other more. So that community is is online, but eventually I, I definitely want to get people to schedule some meetups so that they can meet in person because there's even more power into that stuff. but yeah, that's that's basically the other community.
0: That is so cool. On our Silvertown website, we have Silver communities and I'm going to put Silver Flex in there too, where, where people can find you. Then we'll get your links on the podcast because I, I believe it's communities coming together. All of us coming together, individuals, communities, because we can beat this. We can win it for those who are ready to get out of it. Like, like we are.
1: We absolutely can. I appreciate that. And yes, we can, we can, and we will. It's, it's- it's, it's it's a strong conditioning, strong beast that we're going against, but we're stronger. And, and and I believe that we can absolutely and will beat this thing.
0: And it's priceless living without having to fill a void every day that you wake up. Priceless,
1: priceless. You, you, you're getting the words run right out of my mouth, man. You're good. You've been doing this for a while.
0: Oh, I've been getting sober for years. And I understand the destruction because I woke up every day wanting to die. And now I wake up and I'm excited to live, and it's a totally different place to be. When we get purposeful and we get intentional, we shop around and, and see what works for others. And then I'm a recovery thief, Kevin. If I see something that I like that you've said, check your pockets because I'm going to steal it.
1: Yeah, yeah, go for it, <laughs> go for it. I want to do the same. <laughs> but that's 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 you, you brought up a very important point, and that reminds me of of, of this. I truly believe now with a hundred percent conviction that we are all able to turn whatever chaos we have in our lives and whatever struggle into a superpower. And I can tell you right now that if it wasn't for what I've gone through, all that freaking trauma and all that, those suicidal thoughts and feeling sorry for myself and, and this and that. I would not be who I am today, man. I would not. And the, the fuel that I have driving me wanting to get better every single day and wanting to help people only happened because of that struggle. So if you are in struggle right now, you have something special, okay? You don't want to stay in there forever, obviously, but you have something special and you can turn that. You can turn that into gold and into your superpower. Remember that.
0: Yes, all of that is experience and you have experience with addiction. You have experience with With therapy, I mean, you've had like most of your life has been in therapy. So you know how all of that works and how how they've communicated with you. You're able to communicate with others. These other people coming behind us, they have a lifetime of experience in their addiction. And not only can they get out of it themselves, but they can share what they've been through. And that's how I think we all work together so well, man.
1: Yeah, very, very well said. Very well said.
0: Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the Silbertown Podcast. And I'm very grateful to you. And we definitely want to partner with you as, as you grow and you grow people. So thank you so much.
1: I appreciate that, Drew. So I want to I thank you as well. I really, really admire the work that you do. And, and it's, it's always wonderful to see people wanting to, to spread this knowledge and, and help, help other people for, for this wonderful cause. So I appreciate you having me on.
0: All right. Thank you. Have an amazing day. You too, my friend. Have an amazing day. Bye. Boom.